The Forum at 8 on SAFM. Well, it's seven minutes past eight, and uh, the discussion on the forum this morning, we're asking why do African countries become signatories to conventions such as the International Criminal Court? This is Kenya's Deputy President, William Ruto's case at the International Criminal Court in The Hague starts in earnest today. It starts after a symbolic vote last week where Kenyan lawmakers backed a motion to pull out of the International Criminal Court. The symbolic vote offered a defiant message to the ICC, although it did not impact on upcoming trials of the East African nation's leadership. The Kenyan parliament is expected to vote on a bill within 30 days to formalize steps for an actual withdrawal from the ICC. Kenya becomes the first African country to hold such a vote to leave the world court. Amnesty International has condemned the vote, saying it was a disturbing attempt to deny justice to thousands of people who were driven from their homes or killed in post-election violence in 2007. It says that the vote sets a dangerous precedent for the vote, uh, for the future of justice in Africa. So, as I said on the forum at 8 this morning, the question we ask, why do African countries become signatories to conventions such as the International Criminal Court? And joining us now to speak about this is Dr. Dan Kuali, a senior researcher at the Center for Conflict Resolution. He joins us at our Seapoint Studios in Cape Town. A very good morning to you, Dr. Kuali. Uh, good morning, uh, Tsefiso, and good morning to dear listeners. And we're also joined on the line by Diapolo Lebohang Pergo, who's, who's a political economist. A very good morning to you, Ms. Pergo. Ms. Pergo, are you with us? Yes, I am. All right, and uh, David Sunmenu is a senior researcher at the Institute for Security Studies. A good morning to you as well. Good morning, Tsefiso. Good morning to the colleagues, and good morning to the listeners. Yeah, good morning, David. Yes. Uh, perhaps the, the question I should uh, first start with, uh, Dr. Kowali, is uh, what is the benefit of uh, joining, uh, or should I say being a signatory to such statutes such as the Rome Statute, which formed the ICC, because you have about 122 countries thereabouts that have joined it, but you still have more than 40 countries that have not ratified the Rome Statute. Yeah, I think uh, the first thing that I would do is uh, to look at the preamble, the introductory part of uh, the Rome Statute of the International Criminal Court. This is a legal instrument that establishes uh, the International Criminal Court. The rationale of establishing the International Criminal Court really is uh, to end impunity for uh, the perpetrators of the most serious uh, crimes of concern to international community. So in short, I would say uh, the International Criminal Court was established as a permanent court to end impunity for those who commit uh, mass atrocities against uh, innocent citizens. But there are those who say that, uh, for instance, that a lot of African countries have been made to sign or become signatories to the Rome Statute as a result of preconditions that are set for gaining aid. Mm. That is not correct. Uh, That is not correct. Actually, states are sovereign. They cannot be forced to enter into international instruments, international agreements. They have to enter or agree to international treaties out of their own volition. 
as a matter of fact, when the Rome Statute was being drafted or discussed, negotiated <coughs> in uh, Rome, in Italy, 1998, most of the African states were behind the driving force to adopt an international legal instrument to establish the court. And uh, as a matter of fact, uh, Senegal was the first country, Senegal, which is an African country, was the first country to ratify the Rome Statute. And uh, at the moment, we have 34 African states that are parties to the Rome Statute. Ms. Beko, I don't know, what, what is your, your response to that? Because I, I, and perhaps I'm being unfair by asking this question if uh, Senegal as a country is the best example of uh, you know, a country that follows what would be the best of African ideals, that which serve Africa. Uh, and secondly, as I say, I go back to the point that if we look at international bodies, financial institutions such as at the IMF, the World Bank, for instance, said there are preconditions that are set for getting aid. And some of them are that you need to illustrate that you are, you know, exercising democratic principles, so to speak. I think that this is really to do with the externalities of how governance is conducted on the African continent and how we actually are able to relate to uh, and participate in global governance processes. And there are a few things that always stick out for me, whether it's um, economic treaties, which I'm, I'm, I'm quite conversant with, whether it's the environmental treaties, or whether it's a treaty such as the International Court of uh, Criminal Justice. And I think that there are issues around, number one, proportionality. The proportion to which um, responsibility is apportioned to particular parties. Um, there's also the question of equity, whether there is equity in these agreements and whether they actually lead to greater equilibrium globally in terms of economics, in terms of justice, um, in terms of peace and security. The third is also the notion of reciprocity, which is very critical, whether or not there is, uh, there is wholesale participation of all, of all stakeholders of all nations equally, and whether there is reciprocal uh, reciprocal uh, administration of these particular instruments regardless of whether a country is perceived to be a superpower in inverted commerce or whether it is perceived to be an emerging, an emerging economy, an emerging country, a new emerging country. And I suppose this leads to questions around um, perceptions management and the perception that, for example, a lot of these, um, a lot of agreements and international instruments are, sli- are rather um, detrimental um, in some way to, to, the, to the interests of African nations in, in, in relation to our ability to exercise sovereignty. And what I think is quite interesting in the Kenyan scenario is that it is, for, it is a one scenario of an African country exercising sovereignty over its own national policy and political space. And where I think is where one also has to ask another question, other than the three points that I've raised, is also where this leaves, where international protocols leave um, the citizens of countries. Every time the United States, for example, goes to to, to the WTO, which again I, I, I follow quite closely, they are often they are always at pains to say that they will not sign any protocol, any treaty, any agreement because it is subject to Congress. They must go back to their citizens and to their policy makers, to their parliamentarians, to their lawmakers. And it seems as though we are, have been unable as African countries to use those sorts of spaces and those sorts evoke 
that kind of national, 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 national sovereignty and statehood. In fact, it has, in fact, and, and we seem to feel that, um, of course, most countries feel that these agreements are good for international diplomacy, but we need to look a bit more deeply in terms of global economic governance and its efficacy in the African context. Dr. Zimmer, let's talk about uh, reciprocity, as Ms. Peku uh, says, and let's talk about uh, um, equity, if there is such a term, especially with regards to multilateral institutions. There are some who argue, for instance, that uh, the failure of... Uh, the United Nations, for instance, especially post the Cold Second World War, is exactly these kind of incidents where you have countries like the United States which would dictate what are the standards, if we're talking about democratic principles, if we're talking about levels of sovereignty, but they themselves would not submit to conventions such, such as the Rome Statute or the ICC. Look, uh, I think uh, those uh, concerns are placed. Um, they are important, but we need to understand how the international uh, system functions. And we also need to maybe dig a little better, a little uh, deeper, into why Africans really ratify uh, conventions or treaties that they see as important to their, 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 their countries. And uh, one of it is uh, actually for me, for them to really express their sovereignty as independent states and to be part of this concept of a nation to discuss on issues uh, for communities, issues that uh, could have uh, interest to them given the global environment in which we are living, given the level of uh, interdependence in which we are, we are living. And looking at Africa over the past 20 years, I think no other continent has experienced conflict the way Africa did. And those conflicts, putting together former neighbors, you know, putting together regular armies with conventional armed forces, non-state armed groups, with disastrous consequences for the civilian women and the children, compared to the first two, the first two major wars, uh, you, you have at least 80, 80 percent of casualties becoming women and, and the children in the context of, of Africa. And then the issue of impunity. Who, who do you hold responsible for, for those issues? So sometimes there are general concerns why Africa really adhere to international treaty and uh, adhering to the ICC respond to the need of a time to really put an end to the proliferation of warlords, the abuse of women and children, to put an end to those massacres that we've seen in Rwanda, in Sierra Leone, in Liberia, and, and elsewhere. But we are also operating in international environment characterized by uh, a balance of power. That is not always on the side of, of the African continent. And that's the reason why I really uh, like the point that you made about the legitimacy, or one of the colleagues made about the legitimacy at home. How are our leaders elected? How do they govern? How do they keep the relation uh, among the various institutions of, of the state, the relation between the executive and the parliament? Most of our leaders are elected through very fraudulent elections and do not really owe much to their citizens at home, but to the donors, to their partners outside there, for whom they appear to be more legitimate than to their citizens. To the extent that when there is need to express the consent, as the Dan pointed it out, of the consent of the state to be bound by international treaty, there is no regard to the parliament, there is no discussions. There is no uh, ears for, for civil society organizations. 
that might be calling for the state to be careful, to read the treaty carefully, to build scenarios, to see where reservation can be uh, expressed, or to see simply those things that can contradict even the local culture, the local laws, and the local uh, jurisdictions that are already in, in, in place in, in their country. And as a result, for failing to take into account those dimensions, we found ourselves in a situation where we signed mm. treaty, we ratified them, and then we cry for when the treaties are now being implemented, uh, unfortunately targeting the same people who we, 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 we think are our, our leader. But the problem also needs to be seen in, in this way. When politicians are on the side of the road, when they appear as a victim, they call for the ICC. Now where they're in the driving seat and the ICC fingers are pointed at them, they see the ICC as the devil. And we need to break that. Mm. Uh, uh, Dr. Kwali, just looking uh, at some of the assertions made by the scholar that is uh, Mahmoud Mandani, the professor is saying that uh, the Nuremberg has become a template through which we've come to define responsibility for mass violence in the post-Cold War, War period. Uh, but uh, that uh, that the accent is shifting just in terms of criminal to political with regards to the political space for reform to establish the sovereignty of a reformed political order and an association of criminal law. Yes, Sabiso. First, I think uh, we need to put the record clear. The International Criminal Court is not a court of first instance. It's a complementary court. It has uh, a jurisdiction that is complementary to, to that of uh, domestic courts. Now, uh, it, oh, it's also correct to say that all the eight situations before the ICC relate to African uh, countries. But the picture is easy to see if you notice that uh, close to 60% of the debate in the Security Council relates to African issues, but also eight peacekeeping operations under the UN now, uh, you know, the UN has about 18 peace support operations globally, and eight of them are in Africa. And all the six situations in the UN Peace Building Commission relate to Africa. So that can actually tell you that uh, Africa is a continent where there are a number of uh, armed conflicts. That explains the reason why uh, the ICC is in Africa. Of course... But is that not a problem exactly that, that the ICC is in Africa as juxtaposed to the globe is supposed to be uh, what is seen as a global context for bringing about uh, what we're seeing as a reform political order with regards to this mass violence that I speak about? I have uh, two answers to your question, Sapiso. The, the first is that um, the ICC, yes, is in Africa. All the situations relate to Africans, but also all the victims are Africans. So that is a plus, actually, because the ICC is there to protect the victims. But it is also a problem because uh, the ICC is not looking outside Africa. 
I'm going to take callers now on 0891 Ms. Pickle, we have countries such as Israel, we have countries such as uh, the United States and even the Sudan who have declared that they no longer intend to ratify the treaty. We have uh, countries that have uh, become signatories of the ICC but have not ratified the convention. Why is that the case? This, this is really seen as the silver bullet to addressing some of uh, these uh, heinous crimes which are said to be uh, perpetrated by African countries and their leaders? Well, I mean, I think this goes back to the point that I went, I, was, I, I opened this tippy, so which is the notion of reciprocity and equity and whether there really is proportionality and a sense of fair play in, in these international instruments. I mean, the ICC is but one example. Um, we could mention the Kyoto Protocol, which again, the United States is not a signatory to, although they are the biggest emitters of toxic waste and and, 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 and and global warming in the world. And I think that it, it, it is it is really I need to beg to differ respectfully with my with, with my colleagues in in relation to the the rationale for the International Criminal Court of Justice being on the you know paying more attention to the African continent and African countries, mainly because I think it's a bit of a fallacy that Africa is enveloped, number one, by by corrupt leaders. I think that's become a bit of a caricature. Number two, that all elections or most elections are fraudulent. I think that we have, you know, the African continent has matured immensely over the last 20 years in our ability to deal with our own governance issues and our own contradictions. And in fact, um, situations such as Mali um, and the Central African Republic have become apparitions, and we are shocked because it has been a long time since we had that level of discord and that level of unrest on the African continent in a sustained uh, in a, in a, over a sustained period of time. A situation where there was an Angola, for example, which was a civil war within a country for many years, hasn't arisen for a long time. Um, Mozambique would be another example. The DRC perhaps is probably, and Eastern DRC in particular, would remain one of the most critical hotspots on the continent. Rwanda was a terrible, um, a terrible apparition, and I, I think that they, they managed there to deal with uh, using the Tetrage courts, as we all should be aware, you know, an indigenous form of mediation, um, an indigenous form of, um, of, 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 of bringing justice uh, uh, quite effectively without having to resort to the ICC. And I think I agree with the, with the previous speaker who says that, indeed, the ICC is not the court of first, of first referral, not at all. And I think that it does present us with the opportunity to deal with and create our own very innovative mm. and, and strengthen our existing frameworks. And, 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 and you, you've made a point, Sophie, so is why not Israel? Why not um, the United States, which again continues to, 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 to show that these instruments seem to be used and implemented on a need to have, on a, on a, on a quite opportunistically by the powers that be. And I think that the, the cries of hypocrisy um, that have been leveled at the United States, for example, and the United Kingdom will continue to be heard quite, quite vehemently for as long as um, countries such as the United States seem to have the option to thumb their nose at global governance uh, processes which they themselves are not willing to, sub- to be subjected to. Mm. Dr. Zumini, I'm going to go to the callers in just a moment, but just to, to come to you on this point, that 
Uh, if you look at uh, India's objections, for instance, to the court, it's consistently opposed the court, saying that it has a problem with the broad definition adopted of crimes against humanity. But China uh, says that it believes that uh, the jurisdiction covers peacetime crimes against humanity, but that it also, the inclusion of crimes of aggression, weakens the role of the Security Council in this regard. Look, I think those will remain contentious uh, in uh, the uh, the way the court operates and the uh, issues that we are we are faced with. But remember, Sepiso, the discussion like, on those issues, crime against humanity, war of aggression, was there uh, since uh, the 1999. I think the first time this uh, when uh, they started talking about international jurisdiction to really tackle some of those uh, problems that we're facing. And in between, we talk about the Nuremberg uh, uh, trials. We talk about the Trial, as we talk about the special tribunals of Yugoslavia or Rwanda, some of those issues to call. But the huge contestation of what is called universal jurisdiction as well as the delimitation of all the crime that, that ought to be addressed by, uh, by the court uh, will, will be there. But, you know, this is a, this is a work in, in a progress. And uh, for me, I do not think that we, we have to rely too much on the weaknesses and the problems that are raised to simply dismiss uh, the need for, 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 for the international jurisdiction to have deal with the issue of impunity, which mm. for me remains an essential factor of instability and, and the mm. conflict, whether we are in, in, in America or in, in Africa. And uh, it's also our responsibility as civil society organizations to continue putting pressure on those countries that are resisting to support and to join the, the ICC for, for the need of a really consolidating peace because who is speaking on behalf of the victims? Who is standing on the side of the victims? Who is taking care of the, of the kids whose lands have been shot off, who have been raped in the Eastern DRC and, and elsewhere? No one. And uh, leaving that in the hand of the state to, to do for me, it will take longer. Right. That Pe- will not even happen. Ms. Peku, is that something that you wanted to respond to there? Well, I think that the, the, the notion of um, applying pressure, I think it, it, it's important, and I think that it's important for us to be to attract active citizenship. But I do wonder how we, as sitting in South Africa, sitting in Kenya, um, sitting in um, you know Rwanda, sitting in Ghana, how are we going to exert pressure on Israel and the United States? And I think that we really need to be, uh, we need to be circumspect and realistic about, as, as, as the previous speaker put it, the balance of power in geopolitical, um, in geopolitical power broking today in the 21st century. It does appear that they are, they are, we are, you know, some nations are more equal than others, and that does present us with a terrible difficulty in terms of a multipolar power relations economically, um, environmentally, and, in, and judicially as well. 0891104208 Luther in Midrand you say why is George W. Bush not arrested by the ICC yeah no thanks thanks for two, so maybe two points that I want to make I'm, I'm very puzzled by the gentleman who continues to protect this ICC from what he has read to be the purpose of the ICC it can't explain to me uh, because it's a fact now that America lied to go and attack Iraq for the purposes of oil uh, and the same with Britain. And, and those leaders who is uh, George Bush and, and Tony Blair are today celebrated leaders. They are not even hunted like Al-Bashir. Al- and and it, it, can, it can explain to me. But secondly, for that gentleman to say 
uh, countries are sovereign and what, what, what. He knows he's not talking the truth. He's talking nothing, something else. We know that African countries adopt uh, neoliberal and all the things they adopt, not out of their own volition. They are given threats. And, and Zimbabwe is a classical example of an African country that defies um, international, uh, America and, and the British. And, and they tell you that if you defy us, this is what is going to happen. And they use uh, Zimbabwe as an example. So that gentleman is really playing games. And, mm-hmm. and, and this is about the lives of Africans. And us as Africans, we take serious pain when people talk about these things like the way they're talking about reading it from a book. All right. Thanks. Thanks, sir, Luther. Uh, is it Msui in Devon? Yes, good morning to you and uh, your guest. Good morning. Yes, I think there is nothing so much wrong about the ICCMM. It is an institution that is needed. But what is actually wrong is the operation. I think if we can prune their operations and make them to account and be in charge of the justice in the whole world without leaving the big bullies like America, the Israel, England and all that. And I think the criminal court can be able to do justice. But I also want to say that perhaps what needs to be done by ICC is to empower the continent to do and solve their own problems as Africa is doing. And they are solving quite a number of problems that have been around for almost 25 years without the very international communities failing to to assist, but instead giving arms to the very same countries who do not even who do not even make arms, but they carry arms from Europe, from America, and they are using them. But they stand there so that they can be able to exploit the resources of those countries. The ICC needs to stay, but it must change. Like the UN must change the Security Council. Right. It must be for everybody, not for some. Thank right. you. Thanks a lot, Msu. Uh, it's just a little after eight that we're going to update your news headlines now with Fabachni Chetty and get an update from Rob Byrne on the traffic. Uh, it's absolutely stunning. Uh, we're coming to you live from Durban for the official launch of the KwaZulu-Natal Tourism Master Plan. Now, the, the, the launch is hosted by MEC for Economic Development and Tourism, Mr. Michael Mabuyakulu, and he, together with other guests we have lined up, will um, map out the provincial vision for tourism growth and development in this province. So the show will mainly focus on that, but uh, between 10 and 11, we'll have the regulars for Tuesday, as in Brian Hirsch on personal finance, and Dineo Mulomo on property matters. Some jobs, hey, Ruena? Some ah, jobs. You must see me sitting in this <laughs> corner here, my sister. <laughs> <laughs> well, you enjoy it. And Loving it, this. We'll, we'll chat to you a bit later on, Ruena. All right. On morning talk, that's between 9 and 12 this morning. 24 minutes to 9, let's continue with the forum this morning. The question we are asking is why do African countries become signatories to conventions such as the International Criminal Court? 891 this is the number for you to call. We're in conversation with Dr. Dan Kuwani. He's a senior researcher at the Center for Conflict Resolution. Diapolo Perko is a political analyst, uh, uh, political economist rather, and David Zunmenu is a senior researcher. 
Research at the Institute for Security Studies. Just to read some of the SMSs before I get back to my guests, these countries are doing this to please their masters, nothing else from uh, Simon Phosphorus, Joe Gumbi, and Peter Marisberg says, first it was a brutal colonization of African countries by the West, followed by the plunder of Africans' natural resources, then the introduction of missionaries, then neo-colonialism, now it's Western selective justice in the form of the ICC. If we have our own criminal court in Africa, our leaders won't be bound by it. We have very arrogant leaders, so some don't respect their laws. It's not signed. Brian Kumail and Peter Maritzburg says, explain why only two nations use nuclear weapons on civilians have never been held accountable to the ICC. Is it because they won? Can there be any justification? And uh, this one says, Charles Taylor was convicted of supplying rebels with weapons to overthrow a government of another country, yet the Western countries are doing the same in Syria. and says African countries should not even be allowed to have a choice to join the ICC or not. They are too corrupt and dictatorial. Look at the world stats now. Jabulila Mafikeng says the ICC does not come and arrest leaders. The wait for cases to be referred to them is just that Africans are referring, referring their cases to the ICC. More, that, uh, other, more than other continents because there are more conflicts here than anywhere else. Well, let me come back to you, Dr. Kuwali. Now, you say the animosity directed towards the ICC by the AU is partly inspired by the UN Security Council paying a deaf ear to its request to defer the al-Bashir indictment. Why do you say that? Yeah, the... AU requested the Security Council to defer the arrest warrant of uh, the Sudanese president, but then the Security Council actually ignored that request. Therefore, the AU was not very pleased with that decision. Now, I think I just want to respond to several questions or concerns that have been raised. We should Recall that um, four situations have actually been referred by African states themselves to the ICC. And, of course, two situations were referred by the Security Council, and uh, two other situations uh, were initiated by the prosecutor himself. Now, it is unfortunate that uh, the International Criminal Court does not operate in a, uh, in a vacuum, it operates in a situation where you have states, we, you have sovereign states and uh, there is international politics. But then I also agree with uh, Dr. David uh, when he says that we need to focus on victims' justice. I think that it's time to move from victors' justice and uh, we need to focus on uh, victims' justice because... Uh, those who have been uh, ignored in this de- debate as regards the ICC and Africa are the victims. The victims in Eastern Congo have, are yet to receive uh, reparations for the atrocities. Now, I think the ICC should also understand that uh, if it does not manifest independence, it will lose legitimacy. It will lose its credibility, and uh, as we see now, it's also slowly losing support of uh, African states who are greatest supporters of the court. Mm. I'd like to follow up on that, Ms. Perko, and there is um, a fear that if Kenya goes ahead and 
formalizes its withdrawal from the ICC process is going to continue to seek support not only in East Africa but the rest of the African continent and that there is fertile ground for that. There certainly seems to be. And I suppose really, you know, the, the, the notion of legitimacy with the previous speakers alluded to cannot be underplayed. And when we are speaking about processes like this, you know, the law says that we must come to the, you, you, we must approach, we must approach the law with clean hands. And certainly when there's a perception that particular nations, um, and interests are at stake and which override broader principles, and the principle of, you know, clean hands is already compromised. Um, and I, I think that the other thing that's quite critical to mention is that the funding of these institutions, the United Nations um, um, and the ICC being, being key examples, um, the World Trade Organization being yet another, they kind of promote what I call a false equilibrium, a, a, a false pseudo-equity, pseudo which suggests that all nations are equal in relation to their ability to access justice, to, uh, to, to influence processes, and to make particular contributions. Now, the financing, for example, of the ICC is a, is a case in point. Um, it's, been, it's been used on a, what they call a capacity-to-pay principle, which means that member states should be measured mainly by their national income um, and their GNP, and that this should then be perhaps adjusted by and mediated by things such as external debt, population, and etc. And in theory, no country should bear more than 25% of the total cost. Now, Tepiso and the listeners, when 25% of the total cost vis-a-vis over 100 nations still represent a huge amount of voice. And there is no denying that voice and financial contribution are very closely linked. Um, and we've seen that since the United Nations um, was bailed out about 25 years ago by the United States, the, in, the interplay and the interface of the United Na- between the United Nations and the in- United States has become almost indivisible. And we see increasingly the United States acting as a supra-power, as a supra-agency, even over the United Nations. Again, we see this within ICC where the bulk of the contributions come from European Union countries, about 60% mm. um, alone from, United, from, from European Union um, nations. And um, we live in the real world. And unfortunately, um, you know, money and financial contribution is bound, to buy, is, bound, is bound to buy cloud. The same can be said about the IMF and the World Bank and other inter- international government institutions, and it just seems to be a worrying trend. I agree very greatly that we need, we should not in any way um, agree to an, a, a, a culture of impunity and a culture where people are raped and violated, um, children are orphaned and forced, coerced into wars that they don't even understand. But I certainly think that the lives of African children and African people, we should be able to think and, 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 and consolidate our own governance structures. In the same way, then, who is weeping for the children of Iraq? Who is weeping for the children of, um, of Afghanistan today, the children of Pakistan, the children of Iran, the children of Syria, the children of, you know, of any other number of, 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 of geopolitical situations which have largely been caused mm. by the sort of um, international mischief that, has, that, that illustrates 
um, the United States, the United States externalizing its own foreign interests in a very insidious and ruthless way. We're going to take calls now, Dr. Zumini. I'm going to come to you in just a moment. 0891104208. Faisal in Mayfair. Uh, you say you're ashamed to be African. Yes, Sapiso. you know this outrageous attempt by the Kenyan Parliament to prevent justice from taking its course and and to and to stop the uh, accountability of human rights abusers in the country makes me ashamed to be an African. And 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 and, and it's not only that particular uh, aspect. I mean, other other treatments of of the, of of women and children in Africa, many African states, of gays and lesbians in many African states. Simply says, uh, it, I'm again ashamed to be an African. But I'd like to separate South Africa from that particular uh, aspect. I mean, South Africa has a great constitution, and we have a, a, a government that does uh, 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 follow the, 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 the rights of of, of yes. and, and, and therefore, hello. Oh, yes, sir. Hello. Thanks, Faisal. Darong, in, in, in straight view, very good morning to you. <laughs> Thanks, uh, and then, uh, you see, uh, this thing of um, us, yeah, and in fact, I need to let out to the African leader, especially those elder leaders who have become the Uncle Tom leader. I mean, it's high time that we shift away from using European methods to solve the African problem. First, we need to seek our own unity as the African state and as sovereignty before we can seek to want to become friends or to want to, you know, want any relationship with any other before. We must start here at home, you know, and protect ours and have our own ways and methods of sorting our own problems in this country. I'm going to, you know, Satiso, I'm going to point out to one, um, you know, scenario on March 19, 2008. Okay, um, Dorong, I don't know what happened there. 891 uh, We are taking your calls on this uh, number. Dr. Zuma, just to um, go back to what Faisal was saying, that uh, he's ashamed to be African because uh, what uh, he's saying that... Uh, uh, look, this is a suggestion really that has been raised. Okay, I believe that Dr. Zuma knew we, we've lost that line to him, but uh, perhaps I should then come to you about that, Dr. Kowali. That there seems to be a suggestion that uh, African countries are using the issue of sovereignty to dodge what are basically human rights violations that we ourselves are not willing to deal with. But looking at the ICC, it is supposed to support internal criminal justice systems. So can that argument really be made? Yes. Uh, in, in the first place, I think uh, the ICC should uh, refrain or desist from being used as a pawn in a major powers game of chase. And uh, there are two ways of uh, actually putting the ICC out of Africa. The first, in my view, is to stop committing crimes. So Africans should stop committing mass atrocities. And then the second one is what you say, that Sepiso, we need to strengthen our domestic jurisdictions so that we're able to prosecute the perpetrators of mass atrocities right on the continent. Because, uh, like I said earlier, the ICC is a court of uh, complementary jurisdiction to that of domestic courts. 
All right, I'm going to read some SMSs. Um, quite a few of them coming in, so please do forgive me if I don't get to read all of your SMSs. Sam says, let's face it, the power relations between Africa and the West is that of prey and predator. There can be no justification about it. Tawin Kibler Park says, so African leaders want to butcher their citizens and be left alone in peace. Nonsense. They must all be charged. Lee in Johannesburg says, any African country that does not stop this apartheid, Nazi, colonialist, criminal, infested kangaroo court cannot claim to be free at all. Kenyans are true heroes for initiating such a move, which prisons are those found guilty sent to. Please ask your guests for appropriate answer why Bush and Blair never will be hunted by ICC Omar in Durban what's known the tweets uh, Monde Fagu says my question is why ICC mainly targets African leaders Kaye Nguanyama says at issue here is a big state like the US who are not signatories why it delegitimizes it is in a period political court and just following up on that uh, Dr. Zumanu there are those who say as much as the ICC is referred, these complaints or these complaints are referred to them by Africans themselves, but it itself has never really been able to properly articulate some of the cases that it pursues. And that's why at some point uh, people are calling it the Ocampo Court because of the former prosecutor. No, definitely, and uh, those perceptions will remain there since uh, the ICC does not have uh, a powerful uh, communication strategy to, to dispel them. But I also, equally link to that, want to raise an issue. Why do we have all those bars around the ICC? Why don't we make noise around the Convention on the Rights of, of a Child, for, for, for instance? I've worked many years on the children involved in armed conflict, the child soldiers, 350,000 of them, the women, ladies, and, and the boys, youth are slaves. And why don't we make noise about that? And why are we making noise about the ICC? Simply because the ICC finds itself at the crossroad between the politics and the, and, and the justice and the touching at the heart of, of power. That will always remain uh, a challenge and uh, push the institution to remain uh, as, as neutral and dependent as, as, as it could be to be able to maintain its legitimacy, its credibility, and answer the call for those that are really yearning for, that, that, that are really crying for, for, for some kind of, of justice. The second issue is also the dilemma between peace and justice, because some of the interventions of the ICC are seen as in, uh, uh, interrupting or even disrupting uh, peace processes. Uh, the, the in the case in, uh, in in Sudan and also in, uh, in in Uganda, but at the time those the, those cases were being referred to the SEC, they serve uh, once again they serve the interests of those that are uh, that are, that are in, uh, in 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 power. And for me, that's that's the key problem that we will have to to face. My reaction on our re, on our regional court is is that we need to give attention to those institutions. The African Court of Justice has been in limbo for many years. Nobody really is adding up to give the, 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 the substantial support that that institution needs to deal with African uh, uh, problems by the, the African them, themselves. Because if we are not forced in Africa, we hardly do good things for, 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 for ourselves. I look at the example of West Africa, the economic community, West African state, uh, community court of justice, and that is trying to fill the vacuum 
and thereby the state by asking individuals face with human rights challenges to directly go to that court without even exhausting domestic jurisdictions because we know what those jurisdictions actually actually are. So there are many avenues that the ICC could use to improve its its, its stand in, in when it comes to international justice by stopping being a, mm. an instrument in the hand of, of a powerful or an individual who would like to, 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 to be to, to be famous or to, 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 to seek a re- re- revenge. So there is a lot of institutional work to, to, to be done. But I always make this point that any international organization, any institution is a reflection of its member states. If the member states want it to be effective, independent and, 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 and straightforward in terms of answering the question, then they have to play the game. They need to provide the political support that they need. And some right. countries understand that, including South Africa. Alright, we're going to take uh, your last batch of calls in just a moment, Ms. Peko. I'd also like to come to you just to look at other uh, conventions of which we are signatories to that uh, perhaps should either strengthen or question and that's in just a moment. SAFM has signed a code of conduct that is enforced by the Broadcasting Complaints Commission of South Africa. Under the code, we are committed to giving news that is accurate, comment that is fair, and programming that is not harmful, doesn't amount to hate speech, or contain violence or explicit sex. If you think we're not living up to that code, then you can inform the Broadcasting Complaints Commission of South Africa. Direct any complaints in writing to the Broadcasting Complaints Commission of South Africa, fax 011-325-5736 or email bccsa at nabsa.co.za. For more information, please visit www.bccsa.co.za. The Eastern Cape is well known for producing legends. Some are well known and others are less known. Now the provincial government is giving you a chance to nominate a legend. Tell us who to include in our Hall of Honor and why. Vote in September at letter post offices or police stations or SMS the word legend followed by the name of the person you're nominating to 34524. You can also visit our Facebook page or visit www.ecprov.gov.za. Have your say. Nominations close 30 September. Eastern Cape, the home of legends. The Forum at 8 on SAFM. We're going to take the last uh, batch of calls in just a moment. But uh, just coming back to you, Ms. Pickle, I was asking the question that if we're we're talking about the ICC now, and uh, as I mentioned, that uh, there are fears that the Kenyans are going to try and drop up some support elsewhere, should there be other conventions that we are signatories to that African countries should be questioning or perhaps looking to strengthen? I mean, certainly I would think in terms of global trade, we should be looking at some of the WTO agreements that we signed on to, particularly because of the, the way in which they have distorted export patterns over in the African continent and impacted on our GDP and export value between over the last 10 years, between 2000 and 2010, for example, and how we've been unable to really deal with our rising commodity prices food and issues of food sovereignty most significantly as a result of this. 
Um, and I think that, you know, the Doha round has been, has been sold. And that again is a, is a, is a hamstrung process, which is to do with the kind of the similar kind of geopolitical, um, geopolitical, uh, posturing that we have seen in, uh, at play in the ICC. Of course, we have the Kyoto Protocol, uh, as well, which, which, which speaks to the need for mitigating global change and, you know, global climate change, climate change mitigation and adapt, adaptation. And again, as I mentioned earlier on, the biggest emitter on the planet, the United States, has not deigned to to sign on to the Kyoto Protocol. So again, the notion of proportionality, which I spoke about initially, you know, again resurges mm. in the notion of equity um, and, of course, consistency in application. The global security, the UN Security Council, is yet another example where we don't have representation um, and, the, and the right to veto. Certainly, the, the, the global politics and global geopolitics have changed immensely over the last 50 okay. years. One would have thought that we would have had a, a, a representative from each continent, just in terms of the way that uh, the, the forces of global the forces of global power have shifted so so immensely. I'm just going to take a, a quick quote from Mohammed before I get to final comments from all of you. Mohammed in Indonesia, you're asking why aren't other governments being sent to the ICC like Gaddafi? No, Gaddafi was referred to the ICC by the European countries. But now the so-called interim government in Libya are doing exactly what Gaddafi did. And the Egyptian government is killing its own people. Why no clamor from the West to get those uh, members now to the ICC? All right. Uh, let me just get the final comments and perhaps if you could just uh, answer that question. Uh, Dr. Zuma Niu? Look, uh, I, uh, we understand the criticism against the, the ICC, and uh, we share those criticism. I think uh, ISS has worked considerably on, on the issue and trying to remind both parties that it is in the interest of the victim to have justice. The transitional justice system that we have in place in post-conflict society do not respond to the need of the mm-hmm. victims, and then ICC needs to be consolidated, taken away from politics and the service justice for which it has been created. Ms. Pekko, in 30 seconds, your final word? I think that we need to look much more clearly and more at global governance and what it means in the African context today. I think we need to really be much more, much more cognizant of the, the need for active citizenship and accountability, multiple accountabilities to our citizens um, and to our own interests and to the notion of sovereignty. And uh, Dr. Kuali, uh, your final comments in 30 seconds. We're moving away from uh, the Ocampo justice now getting to Besuda effect where we see the ICC focusing outside Africa in order to uphold the credibility of the court. But I also agree with Ms. Peku that prevention is better than cure. It's high time that uh, we start uh, looking at uh, addressing the root causes of conflicts which lead to mass atrocities. Thank you, Tabisa. Thank you very much to all of you, Dr. Dankuwali, Senior Researcher at the Centre for Conflict Resolution. Diapola Peku is a political economist. David uh, Zumanu, Dr. David Zumanu, Senior Researcher at the Institute for Security Studies. Thanks to the team, Tracy Boomgard, Michelle Sandale, Nzoiki Kukwenze Yilentlati, Lungile Mabaso, Judy Mutupi, Ronald Piri, Jake Mukoma, Busi Chanin, Obre Sitye. It's 9 o'clock.